Welcome to Lame Stream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, and God knows we hope you do, <laughs> please uh, rate, review, subscribe, smash the subscribe button, tell 10 people, tell 100 people, tell everyone you know that's living that you that was that was morbid there for a second <laughs> that you want them to subscribe i i mean i suppose you could tell uh your ancestors that have passed long ago to listen to the pod i'm not sure it little, does us any good so little 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 hard for great great grandpa to smash the subscribe button <laughs> Uh, if we think if we think boomers can't work technology, <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, all right, so on the show today, Ned Michaels, and I guess this week of ESPN, uh, but he's really kind of and he <laughs> and he talks about this. He works, has worked, and and kind of will probably work for everyone in golf. Yeah, like everybody in golf, every role, which I think is really fascinating. He's going to talk about that. Every company, even international companies, the BBC he works for. So fascinating guy i've known him for a long time he's done sh- shows here locally about golf um you know was went to college with brant snedeker at vanderbilt talked about that talked about nashville getting a pga tour event um but most importantly steve and i i don't know if he he knows this but i am utterly obsessed with the uh, with the live tour the liv saudi arabian back tour and what it has done to the pga tour their rules and regulations and phil mickelson's story about the with the book and everything like I, I will just openly admit that this is one of the most interesting things in all of sports that I care about. And I know that I'm in probably the minority when it comes to interest level in this particular story. I, I love being able to put, uh, put a, you know, a voice, I mean, a, a face and a voice together and, and learning something about somebody that I've heard on broadcast, but I just, I, I'm, I'm just not that familiar with, uh, this is a fun interview. He's a really interesting guy. Uh, you, you're going to, you're going to enjoy this one a lot. Yep. Very, very smart dude. Lots of interests, lots of, uh, experiences in his career and lots of different roles, lots of stuff with Nashville. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. Of course, we'll have recommendations coming up a little bit later on after the interview. Uh, oh, by the way, the PGA championship ongoing this weekend. So we did get a couple of predictions about the golf course and about some of the players. So there's some Place sport, your bets. there's some sports in there. Place too. Your bets. I will say he did. He did basically just say like the, the eight best golfers in the world. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when I asked and, him for and, a and pick. It's, and, it, and it's that kind of field. I mean, it, it it's is. that kind of field. It's that kind of course. And he talks about this, too. I mean, you know, you're going to that leaderboard on Sunday is is going to be wicked. I mean, it's going to be so. really, really good. So, I hope so. Um, it will not have. It, it, it will, it, it, it's going to be really, really great. And then, like in like twelfth place, everybody's going to be paying attention to like the one, the one uh, like uh, course tour pro- uh, professional who right. who got who got into the championship and is and has played the, like you know the three rounds of his life. And none of those names, of course, will be Phil Mickelson, who is the defending PGA champion in this event last year as the oldest major champion in the history of the game. And, of course, not playing golf right now because of the Saudi Arabian comments. So, again, utterly fascinating. Uh, I am obsessed with it. And uh, we'll let Ned Michaels do all the rest of the work here. But before we do, of course, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by the wonderful folks at Jaspers. Always brought to you by Jaspers. Go to Jaspers. The parking is free. The food is great. I'm not sure how many times I have to tell you folks that you should go. Um, it's just a great place to watch. I guess you're watching Nashville SC games now. Maybe some yes. 
maybe hate watching some Stanley Cup playoff games. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you got a couple of you got a couple of dinnertime uh, Nashville SC games coming up. I think they've yeah. got like a five o'clock game coming up here on the weekend. They've got something else. Um, yeah, head out. A lot, lot of Nashville SC matches, by the way, in the last uh, couple of weeks here. They're 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 in a stretch. Um, the game room is fantastic. Papa shot, air hockey, darts, shuffleboard, like literally the best game room in the entire city, and it's all free. <laughs> Uh, go check it out. They got the patio open now. Although on Thursday, the humidity was, I woke up, I felt like, I felt like I went to bed in April and woke up in July on Thursday morning because of the humidity. So, uh, yeah. but the patio is great though. If the humidity doesn't suck. So go to Jasper's, the parking is free. The food is great. Okay. That being said, recommendations coming up a little bit later on. This was our conversation with Ned Michaels. Ned, welcome to the show, man. Great to have you this week. I know you're a busy man, golf analyst and host for everybody under the sun, uh, basically. How are you, sir? Welcome to the show. Live from where? Uh, from uh, halfway to the golf course here in Tulsa, halfway to Southern Hills um, <laughs> at, at a beautiful park right on the river, actually sitting in my rental Dodge Hemi. I mean, I got a Charger with a Hemi in it. <laughs> nice. Uh, we're covering the PGA Championship this week, boys. It's going to be a good week. Yeah, my, my four-year-old calls all uh, sports cars the jam. So if she saw you driving around, she'd be like, look, he's in the jam. Like, yeah, there, there you go. Yeah. Got, got, does, it have, does it have a Hemi? Um, all right. So, Ned, first of all, I, I joked about it, introducing you as golf analyst and host for everyone, but you really are. So can you try to give everyone a sense over the last – because we're going to talk about a lot of stuff with you today. But give everybody a sense just over the last, let's say – half a dozen years, five, six years, how many different entities you have worked for? Ooh, I, I, anybody who does golf, I, I probably have worked for uh, in some form or fashion. I, I started off uh, with PGA Tour Live and PGA Tour Entertainment, the USGA, um, CBS, Fox, ESPN, uh, I'm now the American voice for the BBC from the Open Championship and the Ryder Cup. Um, so really, truly, anybody who plays golf, I've been fortunate enough to to uh, do some work with. And so, again, I get to talk about golf. This is amazing. It's way less pressure than playing golf uh, and, and way more fun. To tell people uh, uh, just about sort of sort of the different places here and and kind of and what that's like. Like uh, I, I know on a couple of different uh, a couple of different majors, uh, you're on course and you're you're going to sit yourself. I think you think you're at 15 and 16 on the Masters uh, versus in other setups. You you have kind of you, you kind of have the the run of the course and you're kind of directing traffic and and different things. What what's it like to tell people what it's like to first of all kind of plant yourself in a position the entire day and, and, and kind of see everything at that tournament just through the lens of those two, of a, of a couple of holes. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I have um, two skill sets, I guess, or three skill sets in a way, because I was a former player uh, and played at a high level, I had some injuries that, you know, forced me to retire early. Um, but also when I first got into this working for the PGA tour, they said, Hey, we're going to use you as a host. And so now I, I feel like I have skill sets on both sides. And so depending on for whom I'm working, you know, I may be the on-course analyst like I am this week. Um, I may be the, the booth analyst like I am, as you said, 15, 16, the Masters. 
um, and then I'm, I might be the host. So all very different roles. Uh, it's like uh, being a starter versus being a, a reliever in, in terms of the mentality of it, because they're very, very different. Um, so, for example, this week I'll be on on the course. So I'm going out Thursday morning with, with Tiger's group. It's going to be Tiger, Rory, and Jordan Spieth. I mean, just go for it. Why not? Right? Just have at it. So it's it's going to be an amazing week. But you know, in that role, you're out in front. You're. I think for me, that role is you got to go into the player's mindset. You have to go. You know, all most of us are doing this are former players, right? So you have to go into that. Okay, what is the player seeing when they stand on this tee, or they hit this shot, or they have this putt? And, and so you have to go and tap into, you know, again, if I knew what Tiger was thinking, I wouldn't be sitting in a Dodge <laughs> Charger with a Hemi talking to you about uh, what, what I'm thinking or what he's thinking. Uh, but then when you're the, the booth analyst, you have to be you know, a, a little bit broader. You have to look in the general context of the tournament. You have to be able to dance with the hosts. You have to be able to understand what's happening within the broadcast. And then, of course, when you're the host, you're driving the broadcast. You're anticipating two or three steps forward. And you're thinking of questions to ask your analyst. You're thinking about how can I get it down to the on-course analyst as fast as possible? Because that information, in, in my opinion, is the best, the most important. Because the on-course analyst is, boom, right there. They're the only one who knows what the lie is, is really like and what the wind is really doing and what the crowd sounds like. Um, so there are three different disciplines, and I am so fortunate to be able to throughout the year get a little bit of each one, which keeps things entertaining. But I also think that it helps me improve at each one because I know what the host kind of is thinking. And when I'm on the ground, it helps me become a better host. Uh, so it's, it's, I'm just so fortunate to be able to continually have these, these evolving roles um, throughout the year. And, and quickly, give everybody a sense of where you're at specifically. Like, what, what, what is unique about Southern Hills in this particular tournament, just as we head into the weekend this weekend? Oh, gosh, this golf course is old school. And Gil Hans came in. He took out a ton of the trees. He reclaimed some of these creeks that kind of meandered through the property. Um, and this golf course, you better hit your ball. Because it's going to be windy on Thursday and Friday, it's up to 20, 25 mile an hour gusts. Uh, there's quite a bit of elevation change on some of the key shots, but you have to be able to control your irons to be able to put it in the right place on these greens. And so, again, you look there's a, there's this odd statistical anomaly that basically the the players who are either first or second or third after the first round at this course go on to win, and that's not normally the case. So you know. As soon as the gun goes off this week, you better have a sense of urgency. You better have your game plan attack as soon as you put that peg in the ground on your first hole on Thursday. And so I think we're going to see some kind of – I think we're going to see some mania on Thursday and Friday. But this, this golf course is old school, and it makes you do everything. At some point during the tournament, you have to do everything well. The, the PGA the PGA used to be the used to be the fourth of the majors and and it's it's shifted to this earlier position do you like the shift do, do you like it here or do you like it as the as kind of the the the, the final the, the final stop there for on yeah. the majors tour I like it here because of the broadcaster there's there's a high energy that starts with the masters in April 
and then it runs through the Open Championship because you've got these big tournaments. You've got the Masters, the Players' Championship, the PGA, U.S. Open, and the Open, and they're all, bam, compressed in. As a player, I would think it's a little <laughs> bit challenging. It's a lot of big-time golf that you, you, know, you have to play in, and so I think the players like it a little bit more spread out. But what you're also going to see is you're going to see guys who get hot, you know, maybe run off a couple of majors. So if you're playing really well, this is great. So it's fascinating you say that because I, as a fan of the game, but don't watch sort of every weekend, I will watch every one of these. And I love the fact that it's all compressed like that, just like you said. And I'm curious because now you've got the PGA Tour doing the Netflix style F1 drive to survive documentary. Tiger is sort of on the way out. Let's just say if and when that ever happens, a la Tom Brady, he may retire, maybe not, who knows. Um, but you have this moment in golf where we've got all these guys in their prime who are exceptionally good and a lot of American golfers in particular. So guys like me have now come to the tour as a fan and I'm now watching it a lot more regularly than I used to. Maybe it's just I'm older and I play more, but, but, but they're, they've also taken some strategic decisions to try to make it more fan conducive, like moving the PGA championship, like doing more access. Is there a concerted effort from the PGA tour to, try to be more risky with and, and, and maybe more creative with how they try to push the brand out and grow it into more popularity? I think the word you use creative is the right word. Um, yes. I, I think they understand the, the necessity of social media. And of course they have now more platforms than ever, which is great for broadcasters because there's more opportunity. So I love what they're doing with it. They're trying to get it out to your point to, deliver it to, to the younger generation, uh, especially during COVID, right? Because golf has had a boom during COVID. We thought it was going to shrivel up and die. And, you know, for the past 15 years, the conversation has been, how do we grow the game of golf? Well, during COVID, people found the game of golf again. And so now it's, okay, how do we keep them? How do we captivate them? What's our retention plan? And from a broadcasting standpoint, uh, right now, getting it through social media, and getting it to the younger generations, but make it easy to understand as well. I mean, even my mom and dad, it's sometimes a little challenging to get them to go to ESPN plus instead of say ESPN, <laughs> but we're getting there. So if, if, if my parents can do it, then anybody can do it. And wait, wait, wait. you taught your parents how to use an app on their TV. Uh, no, on their phone. <laughs> I watch on their phone. My brother-in-law did it actually. So it, no, not not on their television. I was just gonna say because you get you get like some like son of the year sort of uh <laughs> sort of medal or something for that because God knows I can't do it and I've tried. Uh, Ned, Ned Michaels joining us here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and SiriusXM Channel 80. Um, Ned, Ned, uh, <laughs> um, what, what about? Let, let's let's focus on Nashville real quickly, um, just in general. And I, I want to start with your career. Obviously, um, you know, you, like you said, started as a player, and you you've done you know local radio shows with sponsors. You've done all the stuff you've done on the TV broadcast side at the tournaments and stuff. You just sort of been a hustler since the beginning, man. And I, I have a ton of respect for that. How did, how did, what was the thought process like when you got done playing, like you said, some injuries, why, why this godforsaken industry? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the warning about a decade ago. Where were you? <laughs> um, you know, it was interesting. I, I tore up my shoulder. I would have been like 2003 or something like that. Maybe four. 
Um, and I was going to, I was out for the year. Uh, and so at the time, my instructor who was, um, Virgil Herring, who was in Nashville, had a radio show, a golf radio show, Saturday mornings on 104.5 The Zone. And he knew I was going crazy, sitting around just doing shoulder rehab and doing it. You know, who knows what I was doing? Just nothing. Probably drive my wife crazy. So he said, hey, why don't you come and do this radio show with me on Saturdays at 7? My initial thought was like, 7 in the morning? You got <laughs> to be there at 6.54. You know? <laughs> I mean, I got to wake up at 6. So anyway, um, I did it. and just fell in love with it. I was like, this is fantastic. It's fun. People call in and people love golf. And so it, it just kind of was throughout the years that I fell in love with. And so I came back and played uh, for about another year. And then I basically blew out one of my hips and that was that. And so I knew enough people in the golf world and had played at a high enough level where I could get in the door. And so I just started making a couple of calls and say, hey, you know, I'd like to try maybe some commentary work. And, um, any chance you'd throw me in, in the in the ring? And so the first event that I covered was for for PGA Tour Entertainment at Torrey Pines. It would have been 2000, I think, 13 or something like that. Uh, maybe 14, I don't remember. Um, it was Tiger and Phil. And they just put me straight into the group. And that's how this <laughs> business works. You either swim or you sink. Yeah. And so far, I'm still treading water. You know, I'm still keeping up just my... Uh, my nose above the water line, so I can catch some oxygen. What what memories do you have from that round? I specifically remember because Torrey Pines has some really tight corridors where you're on one green, but the tee box is right next to you on the next hole. And I specifically remember going, all right, how in the world am I going to call a shot and not have Tiger and Phil both look at me and say, hey, can you shut up? <laughs> While I'm also, the guys behind me on the tee are pissed. Yeah, so that was my, that was my, I remember that, but then also remember standing on the, the kind of those holes out on the water there, fourth and fifth and sixth at, at Torrey Pines thinking, my God, I am so lucky to be here doing this. I want to keep doing this. Uh, I think those are the two memories that I specifically have so it's it's one thing for like uncle Vern and jim and all these other guys Tariko, whoever it is like to be up in the booth right you're up in a tower you can kind of have a microphone and you can kind of deliver things the way you need to when you're in that moment like how close is the microphone to your mouth how how quiet are you trying to be like how like you it, it gets literally to a whisper at some point right where you're just like all right the wind is left to right uh, 55 miles an hour like how, try to take people through that actual process you know, uh, and, and as a as a former player, I'm ultra sensitive, maybe overly sensitive to it. I hate it. It doesn't happen to me often because I'm very cognizant of it. But I hate it when the player has to stop what they're doing and they give you that look. And you know, you don't have to say anything. It's just the look, and you know the look, and they know the look, and you think, oh. So you know, I always walk up before the rounds and say, hey. Because my voice will carry, uh, you know, if you hear me, just kind of give me a quick look and, and I'll tell the caddy the same. Um, but I'm pretty cognizant of it. I use a clipboard, you know, so I got the mic real close to my, and then I got my clipboard kind of up over here. So hopefully <laughs> my voice, I actually designed a clipboard with one of the uh, studio engineers that had a couple of flaps on like cardboard flaps. And you know, that foam that you put in a, in a sound. I was going to ask if you yes. put foam on it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I actually designed one of those. So that I could, it had like, a, you know, kind of encompass my mouth and I could talk 
but it looked kind of ridiculous. So <laughs> I, I, I bailed on it. You just need to clip <laughs> it. It just needs like right one of those. It. it just needs one of those like U clips that clips to the bottom of the microphone, so you can just carry it with like one hand the whole time. I, I had rubber bands. I had rubber bands <laughs> that went around it. Yeah, I'm with you. If you, it was a prototype. You, or it was a prototype. <laughs> If you've ever seen the, if you ever seen the British uh, like uh, uh, soccer announcers, and they have those little things on the, they'll, they'll be at a stadium, but they'll have those little covers over there, uh, over the top of it, and it seems like they're like, they're down into it. I always thought that like that was something that uh, that was something that maybe the that golf uh, golf should utilize, or I mean. Or the portable studio that you built. I mean, that that would be great, too. <laughs> well, you know, the work that I do for the BBC, the first time we were there, they, they call those lip microphones. So you when you put it down, it it turns off. So it doesn't catch any noise or anybody. As soon as you pick it up, you know, it covers your lip. And you can you can talk kind of louder because it catches everything. But I had no idea what it's doing. I'm still holding it out like a regular microphone. <laughs> and, and they're looking at me, what is this clown doing? But it's very different. <laughs> you have to understand the meeting. Just just watch Ted, just watch Ted Lasso and watch their announcers like just have it right. slammed up again. Like, why can't I see your face? Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> How, uh so so what's it like working for the BBC? Uh and, and what do you what do you carry into that for that audience that you might that you might think about differently than if you're just on for an American audience? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I ended up on the BBC through a guy named Ken Brown, who is a European Ryder Cup legend who I'd worked the United States Open with. Um, and you had and been on the European tour. Voice and he, he lobbed my name in. So the first event I worked was a Ryder Cup in France uh, with Ken Brown, a guy named Andrew Cotter, and Peter, uh, Peter Alice, who if, if you follow golf at all he's a he's a legend peter alice is he, tiger um, woods lurking <laughs> right right i mean it, he's an absolute legend and i was so intimidated to work with him um my mentality was just you know shut up and listen shut up and learn and after the first day of working with him I, we were having a beer and, and this guy's an amazing storyteller i mean sir henry cotton was one of his captains when he played on the Ryder Cup team, right? So he go, he can tell stories like back to the beginning of golf, basically. It's incredible. <laughs> and so you, the, the cool thing was you wouldn't really go to dinner. You would just drop your bags at the elevator by the hotel, and then you would have Heineken, and you might eat dinner. And so he would get on these rolls of just telling story after story. Fascinating and fabulous. So I asked him, all right, you know, give me some advice. We worked together now for all of one day. And he said, be, be yourself. Don't be who you think you're supposed to be. You have to be yourself. And so as the week progressed, I got a little bit more comfortable being myself and using some Americanisms. Um, and, and, you know, he, I think at, by the end of the week, he had some nice things to say. And I, I think that was the main thing was you got to be yourself. And, and I think that, you know, that that's what I was there also to deliver, especially in the Ryder Cup, is you're an American. It's okay to maybe pull for the Americans. It's okay to use a little bit of some uh, colloquialisms from America. And, and so I, I learned uh, in the few events that I got to work with, with Peter, I learned a ton from the man. Yeah, it's a, that's a really unique event as it pertains to the, the perspectives that broadcasters can bring to the table. So um, super, super interesting stuff there. Um, Ned, what 
does Nashville need to understand about trying to acquire a PGA Tour event? Oh, yeah, we're going to do it. Trust me, we're going to do it. I'm so convinced that Nashville is going to have a PGA Tour event. Uh, first of all, if you didn't go a couple of weeks ago, the SBO Simmons Bank Open Corn Ferry Tour event through the Tennessee Golf Foundation, through the Brant and Mandy Snedeker Foundation, um, it already has the feel of a PGA Tour event. Right? Uh, did you get a chance to go? Were you guys down there at all? I, I did not have a chance to go, but we are huge supporters of the event for a variety of reasons, as you well yes. know, Ned. Yes, of course, because the Snedeker Foundation uh, supports our kids, which you're involved with, and, and of course, some other great entities as well. But um, it already feels like a tour event. The setup, the golf course, um, the, the companies and the people that are involved all have the same vision, all going the same way. And so it's just a matter of time. I mean, I, from what I'm hearing, the tour has potentially a couple of openings for new tournaments and Nashville's number one or number two on most of those lists, depending on who, with whom you speak. So the biggest issue isn't, does Nashville have the, the population to support it? It's the infrastructure at a golf course. I mean, cause when you bring the PGA tour to town, you need the big top, right? You, you've got to have a place, a parking lot for you, the, the broadcast trucks. You've got to have a proper locker room. You've got to be able to bus people in, to come watch it. So the infrastructure is typically the biggest challenge when you're looking at hosting a PGA tour event. So I think we've figured that out and there are a few other ideas that are floating around, but I honestly think in the next five years, Nashville will at least be awarded a PGA tour event. I may be a little optimistic there, but I'd rather be optimistic than pessimistic. <laughs> any, any particular course, uh, or do you think it's, do you think it's headed, think it's headed for, where the where the current event is the Simmons Open um, is or it, do, do, is it going to be one of these things where it's in an outer sort of county and then everything is sort of hosted in Nashville? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I do think that the golf course can handle it again, the infrastructure. And if if the members want to give up their course, really not just for a week, but it's a couple of weeks. Um, but the golf course can handle it. They can make that Grove golf course as hard as they want. Fast greens, Bermuda rough. Um, that said, they probably would look at some other alternatives, but those alternatives require a lot of work right now in terms of renovating a golf course in the city, maybe building a new one somewhere, but the Grove could handle it. The Grove absolutely could hold it until, you know, maybe a bigger, stronger golf course could, could be uh, built or renovated, but Grove could do it in, in such a special place. Lamestream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business, and it is hosted by the Nashville banner Steve Cavendish, and it is brought to you by Jasper's. Jasper's is a great place to go, Steve. Sure, we, I, we this is this is well worn ground. <laughs> right, right. Um, they evolve the menu constantly. There's constantly new menu items. Uh, they're locally owned business. They have a free game room. They have wonderful happy hours. Their parking is free. Um, it, the, the, there's, there's a dining room, there's a great bar, there's a library, like there's a grab and go market, there's a patio. They, I've never even seen a restaurant with this many amenities. It's, 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 it's extraordinary, Steve. It's what you would expect from the nev next evolution of the sports bar. <laughs> right. It, it's evolved into 12 other things. <laughs> it's spectacular and very real. And 
listen, you still got NBA games. Sorry, Grizzlies fans. Uh, we still got hockey games. Sorry, Preds fans. Um, but you still have a lot of MLS games to watch. You got anytime you want to grab a cocktail after working, you know, and you want to go go grab a cocktail. It's a great place for happy hour. Great place for business lunches. I have business lunches frequently there. Um, it's it's a very versatile. It's it, it is a very versatile all purpose place to go. It is the uh, Jalen Waddle of, of Nashville restaurants. It's the first name that came to my mind, Steve. I'm sorry. I was going to say Alvin Kamara. Should I go on Alvin Kamara? Is that what I should do? Alvin Kamara is a much better, better okay. reference than Jalen Waddle. I don't know. There's a lot of script A's in this city. <laughs> the, last, <laughs> the last 15 years. I, a lot of those power T's got switched to script A's on the back of those trucks. Uh, fuck those script A's, man. <laughs> just, just fuck all of them. Oh, man. It's... It- I've been here for 25 years and it is fascinating to watch uh, how na- how fair weather sometimes Nashville can be as a city just in oh, general. Oh yes, in general. and it is. And there's way too, there's a little too much houndstooth around here these days. I can't imagine why. <laughs> can't imagine why. Although anyway. Saban, Saban's having a wonderful week with the microphones. I, I, I'm enjoying Nick, I'm, I'm enjoying grumpy cat Nick Saban. <laughs> I, listen, it, the, like if, if Nick Saban is just going to be this Nick Saban, I I can hate Alabama a little bit less. I'm here for it, dude. I'm totally I, I'm, here I'm, for it. I'm, it. It's it's quite entertaining. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, you know what this means. And we talked about this on a football show. Go check out a football show. That's an ad. A football it. show, not the That's, football show. A football show. A a football show. An indiscriminate all, football show. <laughs> to end all other football shows. It it is that that by One the way football is show to rule them all. <laughs> that is cross promotion inside of an ad. <laughs> just, just want everyone. You're to welcome, know. Jasper. Uh, no, it's he is fantastic, and you know what it is. Everyone should be terrified. It means he's extraordinarily confident in his team this year, uh, and he's threatening all of us with these veiled passive aggressive comments that really aren't even passive anymore. They're just like aggressive aggressive. They're just aggressive, <laughs> right? Uh, anyway, we we're talking about Jasper's, uh, a wonderful place to park your car and eat food at the same time for free. Not the food for free. But the Always free. All right, uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. Is there a next tier of, of events that the PGA Tour would like to, like we all know the majors, right? And then the Ryder Cup and, you know, we, we kind of like the casual fan understands the top tier. Is there a second tier, whether it's the Phoenix Open or, you know, whatever, <laughs> like what? is there a way to sort of elevate and create this second tier of like eight to 10 events a year? Maybe Nashville's a part of that in the future. Maybe not. Who, who knows, but just what is the strategy around sort of, all right, you've got me, you've hooked me. I'm now watching these five or six events a year. How do you get me to that next tier to watch these next seven or eight or 10 events? Yeah, I think there's going to be some restructuring in the fall would be my guess on how they put these tournaments together and who's playing. Um, I think that, you know, you, every event can't be a major, every event can't be the waste management, every event can't have that big of energy. Right. And so, uh, I think you're always going to have ebbs and flow to a season, just like you do in football. When you get some dud matchups of, you know, two teams that aren't playing well. Um, and so I I think that you got to know who you are and then own that as the tournament um, but I think the fall is going to be tweaked a little bit to hopefully add some more incentive for the bigger names to play in these tournaments. And if they do that, then I think the whole, you know, the whole tide is going to rise, so to speak. 
All right. Well, incentives to play leads us right into Phil Mickelson not being at the PGA Championship this weekend. And if you not if you have not read up on all of the LIV tour, the Saudi Arabia backed tour, that's basically trying to steal a chunk of the PGA tours existence here. Um, I, I, I can't I can't try to explain it all to you on this podcast. So go read about it. But what w- what do you make of Phil, how it's all unfolded? the book, the comments off the record, on the record, and now the PJ this past week, right, announces that there's sort of like this fee or, again, you can explain it. They're not going to – they're doing everything in their power to stop players from playing on this Saudi Arabia-backed tour. What, what, what is – give us the Cliff Notes version of what's going on with Phil and the future of this Saudi-backed tour. Well, I hate it for Phil. I hate it for the game of golf. You know, I was – I called Phil almost – every round last year at the PGA championship. I think I missed nine holes or something. I was on the ground in his group. He played better than anyone, by the way. Uh, and I had Rory and I had JT and I had Jordan. I mean, everybody that week. Uh, and he hit it better than everybody. But that scene on the last hole was madness. And it was so fantastic. Just this tidal wave of humanity coming right at us as he's making his way up to the, to the green. And Kepka was an afterthought. He still had to hit. And I'm elbowing my way through trying to get to the green so we can call the last shot. It was unbelievable. Uh, and to see where we are a year later, you know, it's, it's, um, it's sad. Uh, and so the Saudi tour, I have to be a little bit careful on how I say this. The, the Saudi tour to me is a, is a little bit of a money grab. In fact, it's a big money grab. Uh, and Tiger said it yesterday in his press conference. He's about the legacy. And he is about comparing himself to the historical figures in the game. And he is about the PGA Tour. And I, I think that if the Saudi League actually is able to get off the ground and is able to get an entire year under its belt, I think we may see some evolution where you know maybe players can do a little bit of both or they can compete in the majors and play the Saudi Tour and get world ranking points. But I think it's a big risk, and we're seeing the fallout of that for Phil Mickelson. And so uh, you're going to see other guys take the same risk and it's either, it's either going to work and you're going to be paid handsomely for that risk, or it's going to blow up in your face. And, and so I think, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's a big roll of the dice. And so you better have a ton of dollar signs guaranteed. But again, that I don't care how much money you have. This thing's not going to make money. And so I know they've, got billions and billions of dollars in, the, in a fund to to be able to support this tour but i don't care how much money you have people do not like losing money and so my theory remains that this thing will shudder after a couple of years uh, they're not going to get the players they want they're not going to have the caliber of tournaments they want they're going to be tired of losing money and they're going to be tired of the negative noise and they're going to kind of just go away and then where are you if you're a player maybe you got a lot of money but you got nowhere to play for the most part. I think one of the interesting impacts from this is, is not just sort of, we view everything through the lens of the PGA tour and the PGA tour players, but I mean, the European tour uh, and, and, and a lot of those players and, and, and several of the other tours around the world are all going to get affected by this. Uh, I'm interested in, I'm interested in what you think of the player that, uh, the player that does split time, who, who spends time on the European tour, but also comes over here for, 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 for some events as well, kind of 
what what you how you think it's going to affect like that kind of player? First of all, having been that player who played the Asian tour, European tour, and then I never played on the PGA tour, but you know, come back uh, during our off time overseas and and, and play um, in the states. Uh, I should say I never had my my PGA tour card. Um, I have so much respect for those players because I know how darn hard it is to every week have to go through customs and have to go not you're not going from one state to another you're going from one country to another and to fly around the world so you're talking about guys like Gary Player and Ernie Els and quite frankly Phil Mickelson there for a while was a globetrotter um I have so much respect for those guys who are who are playing all around the globe um I think from their standpoint the the Saudi tour is, is probably makes a little bit more sense because it's only eight events. You get guaranteed money. You don't have to travel a lot. So it, you could see it as a little bit of a reprieve from their normal kind of year in, year out scheduling. But um, again, I, yeah, when you're playing in Asia, the goal is to get to the PGA Tour. So I just, that doesn't change overnight. That You can't pay people to change their dreams. I guess you can. You pay them enough. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that, maybe you can. Right. <laughs> I guess it depends. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that's what we're finding out in a lot well, of ways. You know? Well, well, you said one really important thing. Um, I, I And I am hopeful that you're right, that it does end up sort of belly up in a couple of years and that we're the PGA Tour gets to, and not for like financial reasons, but for moral reasons, because you said the Saudis will get tired of the negative PR and, and conversations. And I, I don't think you're right on that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think the Saudis give a shit about what anybody thinks about them. And it's probably why they're spending this kind of money to attract a tour in the first place. Um, I just think like Phil kind of said the quiet part out loud and that got him in trouble. And I, I, I think people know, I think people see what's going on. If you're, I, I don't think people are blind to what's happening. So um, I have no problem with the, what the PGA tour is doing, even if they're doing it for their own, financial interests honestly you know i think that the the gas and oil industry you know it's not a popular industry it's a necessary industry no doubt about it and i'm going into kind of geopolitics here is they see it potentially waning over the coming years not next year but they see they look out in the future of it and they say okay what can we do to basically hedge and so they want to become a, a financial hub much like dubai has become and so this is a way to attract you know, financials and big companies who aren't in the oil and gas industry or aren't reliant on the oil and gas. Um, but there hasn't been a lot of positive publicity around this. There, the, the Saudi Arabia is not. I mean, nope. so I don't know. At, at some point, nobody really talks about Saudi Arabia until the spotlight is put on Saudi Arabia. And now we're talking about it. Yeah. And it, it's not friendly. You know, it's. So I, I think there's going to be some evolution of that conversation and it's going to go either the way I was thinking or the way you were thinking. It's going to well, go one way or the other. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's take a sharp left turn from the right lane. What, what was Brant Stedeker like in college? <laughs> now I got to tread really lightly. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back to the studies? Yeah, right. Oh man. Hey, Brant will not dismember you, Ned. Okay. I promise. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he remains one of my close friends and in college, um, he was one of my, you know, probably my closest friend, uh, on the team. I was a 
ninth year senior and a 10th year <laughs> senior and 11th year senior his first two years at Fandy. Um, and so I got to see the evolution of, of Brandt as, uh, as a golfer, you know, where he came in and kind of did the college thing like we all did. And then his sophomore year, he buckled down and said, I have the opportunity to be really great at this game. And so he dedicated himself and it's been, it's been neat. And I would tell him surprising, you know, when you're an athlete and you're trying to beat somebody, you can't admit that they're better than you. Right. So I, I would say, I can't, I can't believe you won the FedEx cup. I didn't know you were that good. You know, I can't believe you're playing on the Ryder <laughs> cup. Today. But um, the cool thing about Brandt is he, he is who you think he is. And he hasn't changed a whole lot from that time to now. He's just an honest, upstanding, good guy. He, he doesn't seek the publicity. He just gets it because, you know, you're, you kind of naturally gravitate towards him. He's, yeah. He's motivated. He sets goals um, and he accomplishes those goals. So it, I didn't answer your question. You notice how I sidestepped all that. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. that, no, was, that, he, that was well done, sir. He, he was a, a, a great friend to have in college. And we played a ton of golf. All right. Was, of golf. was he was he natty light or was he like IPAs? Like which one in college? How many, how many freshmen start at IPA? That's a good me? point. Val, <laughs> valid, valid point. <laughs> you know, Every I don't know. School. It's golf at Vanderbilt. You're probably drinking like Cabernet or something, right? <laughs> Caviar and Cabernet. <laughs> right. That's how we start the day. No, you know, every school has has its own, you know, natty light. Like at Wake yeah, Forest, yeah. it was it was bush light. And at Vanderbilt, it was, you know, it was natty light. I don't know what it is now, but, you know, it was, you know, we actually went to the football games, though. You, know, you would have a few natty lights and then you would go into the football game. Now nobody goes into the football game. So we did, we did college, right? Attaboy. Yeah, we did it right. <laughs> Attaboy. All right. Um, go ahead, go ahead, Steve. You got one more. Uh, yeah. I want to ask you a, a little bit about, so you got a podcast, uh, it's called breaking even, uh, and, and in it you do, you, you mix golf with, with some kind of financial stuff as well. And, and so, let's not talk about like the state of my 401k here over the last, you know, over the last two weeks, maybe, maybe, maybe we won't talk diversification here, but help me understand this because, because you're into these sort of financial issues. Crypto has become, become a huge player in, in a lot of different ways in, in sports. It's become a major sponsor in uh, you know, you know, kind of within the financial markets, a lot of people have have put money have put money in there. Uh, what can you tell sort of the average person about crypto and ab about sort of investing in cryptocurrencies? I would tell them to listen to Breaking Even first of all. <laughs> <laughs> well done. But, so let me just give you a quick background on how that show came about. So during COVID, like everybody else, I get a TD Ameritrade account and I'm trading stocks and. You know, I know nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. So I'm watching CNBC and there's a fellow on Fast Money. His name is Guy Adamier and he's got a, a golf shirt on with a logo. And so I just tweet him. That's a great golf course. Long story short, we start from, we start having a conversation via DM on Twitter. He shoots me his phone number. Then we're talking. And about two or three months later, I pitched him on an idea. I said, hey, I want to do a podcast that's just things I want to talk about. So golf, sports betting, financial markets, real estate investment, that kind of stuff. And he says, yeah. So we've started breaking even. Guy Adami, 
um, a guy by the name of Dan Nathan, who are both on CNBC, and a fellow by the name of Danny Moses, who a character in The Big Short is based on. He shorted the housing market, crushed. So now we have every week, these guys will jump on it and lay out some amazing, amazing in-depth knowledge on the financial world. Um, So for example, two weeks ago, they were saying, hey, you should short Apple. It's probably going to go to 138. Uh, If it goes to 138, then sell your shorts and buy long because it's going to go to 160. And then once it gets to 160, sell your longs and buy short again because it goes to 120. And it went to 138 and 80 cents. And then it bounced and it's on its way back to 160. And then, you know, so you see where I'm going. So I, we've talked about cryptocurrency. We talk about just about every week because I don't necessarily believe in it. It's not backed by anything, right? I'm, it, there's no government. I'm with you. I, I don't understand. We, we are all something, in agreement. Something right. without any fundamentals attached to it. Right. How how I how I can put my money against it? It is pure. However, it is pure speculation. Pure speculation. That's all it is. Well, it's proven not to be a hedge against inflation, right? I mean, it went from sixty nine to what is it, twenty nine today. Um, that said, perception is reality, and if something is perceived to have value, then it has value. But again, you know, there's that whole the tulip craze where tulips in the medieval times were selling for you know, pieces of land kind of stuff. Well, tulips aren't worth pieces of land now. So <laughs> I don't know. Of course, I've got some. I, I really, I only have Bitcoin now. I sold all my Ethereum about three weeks ago. Fortunately, the timing Ooh. was good. Um, I wish I'd sold it, you know, six months ago, but I was kind of peeling some off throughout that. But um, so we talk about crypto almost every week. Uh, one thing that Guy Adami did say, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago, he said, if the Fed just softens a little bit and they have any type of dovish terminology or they don't raise rates next time, watch out because crypto is going to go parabolic. It's going to go straight up and it'll make its way to six figures. So, you know, that kind of return. Okay. I'll, I'll throw some dollars at it in hopes that that happens. And, and and destroy the planet in the process. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a bogus argument. I mean, think about what it takes to make, paper money and then distribute paper money what what is that what is paper i haven't seen that in years ned i don't know what that is everything (laughs) requires energy right so just where are you getting your energy from you got to plug your car in somewhere okay well where are you getting the energy to charge your car right now you're burning coal a lot of places so you know there people need to understand if we and, and then the batteries how do you dispose of the batteries on these evs so there's we got a lot of progress to make a lot of progress to make. Uh, on that point, we will all agree on on the progress that we need to make. We all agree on that. Yeah. G- give me a name for this weekend on Sunday afternoon. You're walking around the course. This is yeah. the guy we're talking about. Who is it? All right. It's got to be a big name. This this golf course demands, and the way it's going to be set up is it's a big name. Okay. So those there, I'd like to say Tiger Woods. I'm going to say it's not Tiger Woods just because I want it to be Tiger Woods, because that would be the most incredible story to go from Phil to Tiger winning back-to-back PGA. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, not many people. He's the number one player in the world. Not many people are going that route. Jordan Spieth, there's a guy. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, I don't know, his putter holds him back. Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, John Rahm. That's my short list right now. Uh, and right now I've got Rahm and Cantlay. Those are the two guys that I've, that, that I think have the best chance with 
Shoffley right there behind him and Scheffler as well. Those Rom are my four guys. Rom seems like he's due. Yeah, he just he just went back to an old golf ball, an old version of the golf ball that he was playing that spins a little bit less. And I actually think that's going to help him on the on the green. Um, make a few more putts. You don't need another technicals on why I think that. So he, he's the best ball hitter on the planet. And if he just makes a few more putts, he'll be there when you know, Sunday comes around. So that those are my guys that I think Rom and Cantley are my one and two. And then Scheffler and Shoffley are my three and four. Ned, thank you so much, man. Enjoy your coverage. You do great work all across all the platforms. Breaking Even is the podcast. Make sure you check that out. And as someone who has received gear equipment from you, I want everyone out there to know that regular golfers, the type of ball you use, it doesn't matter. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> all the technology. The uh, yeah, all the technology that is so important for the professionals it doesn't matter for you, the regular golfer. It just doesn't. <laughs> just learn how to get yeah. the club face back to the ball the same every single time, and you'll be all right. Uh, Ned, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you for uh, hanging out with for us. Thanks for letting me sit in my Dodge Charger with a Hemi in it. <laughs> I want to talk about some golf, boys. We'll see you. That was Ned Michaels of ESPN, the BBC, formerly of 104.5 The Zone. I've seen him on PGA, you know, I've seen him on the Golf Channel uh, during major events. He's he's everywhere. He, he's on, I think, 15 and 16 during the Masters. He's been play-by-play. -play. He's been a host. He's been color. He's been on the course. Like, there's, he's had a fun, fun, fun career for a guy who loves golf. And I think you can hear it in his voice when he talks about how how appreciative he is of the sort of experiences he's, he's, he's had. Really, really interesting, dude. Uh, I, 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 the, I have had a chance to to catch his podcast here a few times. It's entertaining. Uh, it's fun. I mean, his personality kind of comes out in it. Um, and again, it's like I said here at the top. The the more you the more you sort of understand the, the kind of the voices that you're hearing uh, throughout throughout a telecast. I always I always enjoy it. it makes it makes a broadcast sort of richer. Uh, and the the, the the job that he's doing kind of across 10 different networks here to me is is fascinating and, and that's and that's sort of like the contractor nature of of a lot of tv talent yeah uh, particularly particularly in something like golf where you have the contracts divvied up among so many different networks you know that they these guys are these guys are bringing a level of expertise and comfort to audiences and so they're they're, they're sort of available across different uh, across different places, I, I, what I really want, what I really want to do is figure out a way to get the is a figure out a way to get the world feed from the British Open. Oh yeah, when, when he's on when he's on the summer, uh, because I, now I'm now I'm dying to hear him do the Open because like like he talked about bringing some Americanism into the yeah. broadcast is like sort of the the point of that when you're doing a British broadcast on the BBC with American golfers going against british golfers in united kingdom like it's 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 a really cool dynamic that is very rare in broadcasting um and and very few interviews i'm willing to bet steve uh this week covering the pga championship will cover john rom's choice of balls and <laughs> cryptocurrency in the same interview i'm willing exactly. to bet i'm, I'm willing exactly to bet right. you no one else has that except for us john right? rom's golf balls yeah that's obviously what i was referring that was that yes they have less spin now <laughs> yes just they being they have, explicit they have less spin um i will also say like like again back to to wrap up this conversation into one 
final time mentioned my obsession with this Saudi Arabia thing. Um, golf is a is not a niche sport, but it's not a major mainstream top three or four in this country. It's it's growing, but it's and foreign policy is probably a very the amount of people that understand the Saudi Arabians and their role in like the world sports events probably also a very small niche audience. And when you put them together, <laughs> you have an even smaller niche audience. That's basically you and me who are obsessed with this Phil Mickelson, Saudi Arabia golf thing. So I have two obsessions kind of internationally in terms of soccer. I've been a Barcelona fan for a long time. My wife and I were lucky enough to go to Barcelona, catch a game there. I was already a fan. It turned me into a lifelong fan. It's just a, it's just a great club, but for, 30 years, I have been a fan of Newcastle United. Uh, that is my team. That that is that is that is my my thick and thin. If they uh, played each other in the UEFA Euro they, they, thing, they actually they actually when 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 Newcastle was really good with Alan Shearer in the nineties, uh, they actually played one of the one of the best Champions League games you'll ever see. Uh, Shearer was out, actually out injured. Tino, who, do you, uh, who do you root for? Uh, I rooted for Newcastle. Okay. I mean, right. that, that's Good. that's my Good. that's my team. Good. But 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 anyway, but anyway, I say all this to say this. You know, Newcastle was bought by the Saudi public uh, investment fund here, or, or the, a substantial percentage of it was was bought by them uh, back in the fall. Now, on the one hand, and this is what I've grasped, grappled with as a fan. On the one hand, I am I was thrilled because Newcastle had the worst ownership in, in in you know football in world football. I mean, hands down, it was just terrible. Uh, and so this meant that maybe we're getting a Man City level of investment coming right. in, right? And and sure enough, which, which is a lot for those who don't know that Man City was purchased and then all the money came flowing in. It, after years of not spending anything in the January transfer window, they spent a hundred million dollars uh, to basically save the team from relegation because the, because the old ownership and the old coach had, had, had done such a piss poor job of things. Uh, and, and so I am thrilled by this, uh, but there are, there are reports now that the, the, the away jersey and, and, and the way it works, if you're not familiar with soccer jerseys, is, is the away jersey changes every year. And so, uh, you know, your, 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 your main kit, your, your home kit, and, and in, for Newcastle, it's black and white stripes. You know, it may change a little bit, but, but it, it is the, right. virtually the same every year. Your away kit changes colors, it changes shapes, right. patterns, whatever right. else, every single year. This Next year, this is why the Mexican national team has pink in their yeah. in their color in their uniform. And so, and so next year uh, it is it, it is reported to be green and white stripes, hmm. uh, a la the Saudi flag. Uh, and I, I don't know kind of how to process that. <laughs> that's 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 probably the best way to explain it steve is that you are internally conflicted about uh, I'm, watching your I'm, team. I'm very conflicted and i'm always uh you know support the boys on the field you know yeah, fuck yeah. The, uh, the the boardroom kind of kind of guy but i mean yeah. it is yeah. it, it, it is it is going to be weird when they walk out there in that this in, in that kit the first time th this is a thing that is happening in sports around the world it's not complicated it is bad people and places and things 
sports washing their reputation with billions of dollars. That's what this yep. is. That when Tom Brady takes his family to Cutter <laughs> and posts on social media that Cutter is a wonderful place for the Brady's to vacation. Why do you think that is happening? <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, just, I mean we're we're going to get we're going to get a big dose of that in November when the World Cup starts. Oh yeah. Because this is maybe one of the greatest sports washing jobs of all time. Uh, you know, a a a, a country that ne- had had no tradition and never should have gotten the World Cup, you know, essentially bribing their way, you know, to FIFA executives to get a World Cup, which by the way is not being played traditionally in the summer. It's being because played it's too hot. Because <laughs> it's too hot in the middle of a fucking <laughs> desert. All right. Okay. We got time. We got and thousands of people have died to build all the stadiums, but it's no big deal. It's fine. But don't, don't worry about it. Deal at all. Tom no. Brady likes to go there, so it's totally cool. Um again, right. also uh, uh <laughs> also wasn't it Justin Bieber who sang and did a concert at like the F1 in Saudi Arabia or Dubai yeah. or something I like mean, that? And it's like, guys. It's so blatantly obvious what is happening. So, and again, we understand the audience that understands this is very, very small. Um, also, real quickly before we get to recommendations, you're talking about soccer. And shout out to V Love, of course, our loyal listener, V Love. Um, Steve, have you figured out who the drunken racist is yet on Bransford Avenue? <laughs> you know, I have not gone back and found uh, found the guy. You know, and and honestly, I may not go back to this guy. Um, oh, oh, really? I, 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 I you know. You're going to take uh, your business elsewhere, Steve? <laughs> I did take my business elsewhere Wednesday night for the uh, 2-1 win over Montreal. Yeah, there you uh, go. So, yeah. And yeah. I, I figured that the tile company that I was parking in their parking lot over <laughs> on Bransford uh, was, you know. I was, bought tile from that company, by the way. <laughs> but, I know by exactly the way, which one you're talking about. The, the, they were not going to be the uh, the, the drunken racists yes. that the uh, that I. So, so since you're not going to do the investigation, I would like to extend an invitation to V Love to be an honorary investigative reporter for <laughs> Lamestream Sports to go out there and find that drunken ra- racist. Okay, we need this. This unchecked aggression will not stand, man. <laughs> it will not stand, <laughs> and I bet you V Love will do it. <laughs> he, he might. He he just might. He'll go out there and do it. Uh, all right, recommendations real quickly here before we wrap up. Special thanks to Ned Michaels for joining us. Um, check out the YouTube page, rate, review, subscribe, all that great stuff. Go to Jasper's. Um, how to land Arch Manning. He's the number one recruit in the nation. He is Cooper Manning's son. He is the nephew of Peyton and Eli and is the grandson of Archie. Um, how to land Arch Manning. Dig into Peyton's and Eli's 1990s recruitment. This is from The Athletic. Christopher Kamrani. I am. I don't actually give a shit where Arch Manning goes, Steve. I don't care. I'm not invested in it. I don't. I, I, I would prefer Texas because I think that would be the most chaotic and the most fun to watch. Um, but I don't care. Bama, Ole Miss, Georgia. I don't care. But he is an utterly fascinating case study in name recognition, NIL value, five star quarterback playing a premium position. How insulated he is. He has over. I think he has over ten thousand followers on Twitter and has never sent a tweet. <laughs> So like it, he is a totally unique once in a generation type of recruit. And it is fascinating to study his recruitment through the lens of Peyton Manning's and Eli Manning's recruitment as well. Uh, great story by Kamrani there at the, in the athletic, you should be obsessed with this, not because of the player, but because of all the other stuff. And he does a great job of laying it all out. Fantastic story. And even Steve Spurrier quote from Steve Spurrier in that story, Steve, even Steve Spurrier, when complimenting Peyton Manning, deciding to go to Tennessee, still figures out a way to make it as a compliment to himself. <laughs> so, sure. 
I, uh, it's just amazing sure. how it's amazing how he can say something complimentary to someone else and make it sound like it's still about how good Florida was. <laughs> it's just that is that is the least surprising thing in that story. <laughs> it's tremendous. It's a great story. Go read it and follow don't, the Arch Manning recruitment. It's fascinating. Don't 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 you secretly want him to go to the Pac-12? Um, no, I, I think Texas is actually the most interesting, honestly, because they're going to move into the SEC. They have so much pressure to like return to some sort of glory that they've never really had. And it's not like Alabama, Georgia is kind of, bah, okay, fine. They have good quarterback play. They, they're going to have good quarterbacks. Ole Miss, we've seen a Manning there before. That would be interesting, I think, because it would level the playing field a little bit with Lane Kiffin. But I think Texas is the most interesting. Former Nick Saban assistant, now coaching the number one recruit, moving into the SEC with Arch Manning as your starting quarterback. I don't know. That's pretty juicy. I mean, the the only value to that in, for me is just the level of doom that it would create among Texas A&M fans who I just detest. Or he he's a total failure because there's too much pressure and Texas is a total flop again. Like there's it doesn't matter what happens in his career or where he goes, it is going to be studied for years. Yeah, that's what that's what makes it interesting to me. Does it almost doesn't matter what happens? All right, what you got for the good folks? All right, I, so I got two things. Uh, I got, uh, and and I hear you. I I I occasionally uh, bring some dark stuff in here. I got I got a non-dark thing in here. Okay. But, uh, uh, first of all, in uh, in New York Magazine, uh, Top Gun Maverick is coming out. Um, if you have gone to see Doctor Strange, which I like, I have. Uh, you got like eight minutes of footage at the uh, uh, from the from the movie, and it is awesome. Uh, <laughs> the, the the footage that we got is essentially if you've seen the first one, the like the first set of dogfighting uh, where they go up and and uh, and and it's the new it's the new people against uh, at, at that point it was just uh, it was Jester, um, you know he's in the Jester role kind yeah. of picking yeah. off people. It is amazing. As a matter of fact, you know the 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 technology is so much better anyway. I'm gonna yeah, go yeah, see no, this movie I, I see, on the first day. I, I see what you're saying. Is it is it interesting that Tom Cruise of all people is like one of the people that we just sort of don't really like, but we love his movies. <laughs> that's it, that's exactly right. So well, and and the Vulture article looks at uh, looks at this. Uh, it's called Tom Cruise's Last Stand. Thirty six years after the uh, after the original Top Gun Maverick eulogizes the actor's entire career in an America that may not exist anymore. Wow, it's a fascinating kind of piece. Uh, about sort of like where this movie is in 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 these times versus that movie in those times and uh, wow. just 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 go just go check it out and and just just to show you that i'm not all doom and gloom okay my favorite story of the week and, and th this headline this headline says it all this is a this is an npr story it's on the pl the, the wpln site this dog broke into a tennessee couple's house and snuggled her way into their bed. <laughs> I saw this. <laughs> this is this is my this is my absolute favorite story in, in a long time. But this dog got loose while out with its owners. ends up uh, ends up running off. Goes in through a, goes in through an open window. Crawls up into finds the bedroom where this couple is sleeping. This couple, which by the way has three dogs in their own crawls up into the middle of the bed and goes to sleep and nobody wakes up right and no and and like the 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 they wake up and says um says my my husband uh kind of went to pull the blankets up a little bit almost like they were going to protect him uh and then 
the dog just got further up on our pillows, snuggled in, and was just 100% content about being there. <laughs> so, That's amazing. He was confused, thinking it was either Hollis or Jupiter or Zeppelin, one of the other three dogs. But when she rolled over, locked eyes with Jimmy, only to find an unknown dog in bed with him. <laughs> it, is, it is great. You're going to love all the pictures that come with it. Because I mean, if you're a dog person like yep, I am, yep, yep. it's it's great. So WPLN for that story. You got the athletic for the Arch Manning story. Where's the Top Gun story? You said the New York New York Magazine. Is that what you said? Yeah, it, it's on Vulture, right. which is their Vulture. Their, okay, their, their culture site. There you go. All those great recommendations. Uh, check it all out. Be love. Get to work, my man. Special thanks to Ned Michaels. Really appreciate his time. Enjoy the PGA Championship, of course. Make sure you subscribe to the Nashville Banner, NashvilleBanner.com. Sign up for that newsletter. Great stuff coming from you guys each and every week on that. Uh, on that there newsletter so check that out um, rate review subscribe to all the other, other great shows across the network and please go to jasper's because the parking is free and the food is wonderful and the game room is spectacular Steve, it's the next evolution of the sports bar where can people find you they can find me on twitter at scavenish if you want to sign up for the nashville banner go to nashvillebanner.com give us your email every time we write a story it will end up in your inbox Love that so much. Thank you guys all for listening. Rate, review, subscribe to the show. Check out the YouTube page as well. Go to Jasper's. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been Lane Stream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.